Bibles tonight to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. This text tonight is, uh, I actually didn't plan it this way, but it is a very nice follow-up to what Paul had to say this morning in Romans 9. It is really amazing how often this topic or a, a, you know, a, a variant of it comes up in the New Testament. How, how many of you have ever had, this is probably a dumb question, we all probably have, but how many of you have ever had to turn in a resume for a job? Yeah, it's, it's uh, I hate writing those things. If, if you've ever applied for a job, you know the importance of making a good impression. And to do that, you're going to have to brag on yourself and your accomplishments and tell whomever you're applying for why you're more worthy than anyone else is for that position. Here is the roster of my achievements. That's the way our world works. That's the way it is. So it's no surprise really that we may naturally think that's the way it works with God as well. Right? Surely the greatest gift in all the universe isn't free for whomever wants it. As if you can just take it. You know, no fine print or anything like that. It's yours. All has been provided and paid for. Our flesh will not accept that. The epistles read like that's the major issue in the church of the New Testament. Some even may, even, even after we've been saved, right, we still fight this urge to perform well enough for God, to put together enough, uh, a good enough resume, if you will. Some even define their whole Christian life by their works. They might not ever say it that way, but all their confidence is not in the finished work of Christ, but in the visible evidence they present. You can hear that often in the way that people might talk. Paul had a better resume than any of us. And he deleted it and threw it in the trash. More than wanting to see the evidence in his own life that he was really a child of God, Paul wanted to be found in Christ. This is a dimension of our justification that we don't maybe talk about as much. Paul wanted Christ to be his resume and Christ to be his righteousness, even though he had plenty of his own to offer. In order to be found in Christ, we must no longer have any, any confidence in our flesh. Let me pray and we'll look at this passage. Father, I pray that your word tonight would come like the rain on our souls, that it would renew us and teach us Refresh us, Father, and give us life for the road. I pray, God, that you would help me to speak clearly, that you would help us all to believe these things and understand these things. Have your way with us according to your word. We ask and pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you, it is safe. That's, that's, a, that, that's a relevant thing to say. Apparently, Paul had written before. I don't think he's talking about chapters 1 and 2. Paul had written before to the Philippian believers, as he had to an even greater extent to the Galatian believers, about the dangers of Judaizers, those who infiltrated the churches, teaching that trusting in Jesus Christ had to be supplemented, specifically by circumcision and rigorous law-keeping in order for Gentiles to find assurance of their standing 
among God's people. In Galatians 1.6, rather than saying that this is a, any kind of a good thing or something that would help, it, Paul says in Galatians 1.6 that this kind of teaching is actually a different gospel. It's a completely different message that isn't from God at all. The difference now is a very subtle shift of trusting Jesus for your salvation back to yourself. Any doctrine that teaches you to look into yourself and what you're doing as the means of your standing among God's people is a different gospel. It, it doesn't sound like one because you're still using the name of Jesus and you're giving lip service to salvation by grace through faith alone. But the way we talk after that can often make it seem like we don't actually think that at all. It isn't doing what people think it's doing when they teach it. And make no mistake, there are many who still teach it. Whenever we start adding buts to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're dangerously close to doing what the Judaizers did. When we lack faith in the finished work of Christ, we're going to feel frantic, not only about our own behavior and our own standing with God, but the behavior and the standing of others. We'll get extremely sensitive about whether or not other people are even actually saved. Why? Because they don't have faith? No, we don't question that. And yet we still question their salvation. Because they aren't doing enough to prove it. And our flesh naturally defaults to this thinking. This is what the church fathers called the opinio legis in us. This inherent belief caused by the pride of our sinful nature that we can help accomplish our salvation and actually be obedient enough through the law for God to accept us as well as the desire to do so. So Paul says, now here's the thing, I know we talked about this a lot this morning. Paul says, it isn't tedious for you to have to read this again and be reminded of these things. In fact, it's safe. It's critical. Beloved, it's, it's never tedious to have to hear again and again of the dangers of our flesh. If you gave the New Testament an honest reading, it seems like that's a much more pressing issue than the evil of the world. It's the tendencies of our flesh to not fully believe by grace through faith. So it's, it's, it's never tedious to have to hear again of the dangers of the flesh and its insatiable desire to contribute something to our salvation. No, it's, it's safe. It's safe, beloved. <clears throat> Excuse me. Trust the Lord here. We need to keep hearing this. Our flesh will say, I've heard this, I know this. This is getting tedious. I can feel that often when I study. But the Word of God says this is safe. We need this. Have faith, beloved. Don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. We need it. If we shift in our thinking for even one moment into believing something has to be added to Christ for us in order to be saved, Christ will be of no advantage to us. Galatians 5, 2 through 4. This was the issue. In the New Testament church, the prophet Isaiah told Israel, speaks the same to us in Isaiah 64, 1 and 2 and 6, that all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Every translation is so kind with the Hebrew there and what's actually being said. It's, 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 we, it's not a good thing, our good works. We, we don't do good works, again, to present our own righteousness to God, somehow supplementing the righteousness of Christ that was granted to us by grace through faith alone and thereby eventually create enough righteousness for God to accept us. We should be happier people. Right? We should be much happier people. 
You are as accepted at the moment you receive the gospel as you are 50, 60, 70 years out. So Paul goes full Paul, if you will, in the next few verses. In verse 2, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. That doesn't sound like Paul is saying, just be careful here. Keep the main thing the main thing. No, no, no. He doesn't talk like that at all. The danger these teachers pose to the Philippian believers and to all believers is why Paul uses this tone and this language. This kind of thing cannot be allowed to gain a foothold. And Paul isn't nice about this. What is being said in that teaching is that Christ is not enough. That's how Paul treats it, as that deadly. Even though they're not saying that, they're just saying what you have to do. And one of the very reasons it's so dangerous is precisely because that is left unsaid. Nobody says Christ is not enough. You have to supplement what he did at the cross with your own good works. It's not stated like that, beloved. It's stated through the constant pressure that you're not doing enough. That you could be doing more. The constant questioning of your salvation. The constant questioning of your love for or commitment to Jesus. That's how it gets in. That's how it takes a foothold. Either Jesus is enough and grace through faith alone saves, or there's a different gospel. The implication is that the cross was not enough, and if you don't do your part, no matter how small, you aren't really His child. It implies that confidence or assurance about salvation, here's where the rub is, cannot be found in Christ alone. It has to be supplemented. It's a doctrine of demons. And Paul treats the teachers of it like they're feral animals and pagans here in verse 2. There is no quarter given to the teachers of any kind of supplemental salvation. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision. They are liars and they're not Christians. Paul says, we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul says that those who are in Christ Jesus and trust Him alone for their salvation, they are the circumcision. A people who believe in Christ by grace through faith are what have been severed from the world and made into God's people. The Old Testament rite of circumcision pointed to a spiritual reality that Paul says in Romans is actually a matter of the heart, not of the flesh. God's people worship God in the Spirit, not with works of the flesh, but with the circumcised heart. Rejoice in Christ Jesus, meaning He is enough for them. They need nothing else. And most importantly, have no confidence in the flesh. Beloved, none. The gospel will never drive you to yourself for the evidence that you're saved. Never. You know it's Jesus again when the yoke is easy and the burden is light pertaining to your salvation. When the exhortation to good works is not presented as the basis of your salvation, but as service to our neighbors for the sake of Christ. Verse 4, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. So Paul is going to rehearse his own experience as an example of God's free grace in Christ. He's going to answer the objection that some may have when they say, but I want to contribute. What is so bad about that? I've done so much for the Lord. Why won't you let us make a big deal of our own righteousness, Paul? Isn't it good to be like that? Paul says, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So, if we wanted to do that, 
if we wanted to say yes, but this or that about ourselves, we'd have to match up with Paul. And, and none of us can do that. If anyone can find reasons in themselves for believing they did have something worthy to offer to God, it was Paul. And, and that's the reason for his argument. What is Paul saying here? What is he going after? He's answering those who think there is confidence for our salvation to be found in the works we do in our flesh. That's why he argues the way that he does. That's why he presents his accomplishments and his good works. He's arguing for not having confidence in the flesh. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Blameless. The, the one place on earth we can look to know what is commanded by God is the law, the old covenant. There, God's law is revealed. We know how He wants His people to live. And Paul says, listen, by the greatest standard ever known to mankind, I've been righteous. I have that in my resume. You can count that towards my record. So what, if, if that's the case, you, you could imagine someone saying, then what do I need saved from? He was not only a bona fide circumcised Hebrew from the tribe of Benjamin, he was a Pharisee. He was so zealous for the purity of God's word that when this sect of people rose up following this man who blasphemously claimed to be God in human flesh and Israel's Messiah, he persecuted them. That's how zealous he was for what he believed the truth of God was. He imprisoned believers in Jesus for a time. He genuinely thought he was doing God's work. After all, he devoted his life to learning scripture, to obeying the law. He could say to God, but I am blameless. So what was salvation like for Paul when he was born again? Did Paul need all of the blood of Jesus for forgiveness? Did Paul need all the righteousness of Jesus in place of his own? Or did God join what Paul had to contribute to what Jesus had done? And that's what made Paul righteous. So that when Paul thought about whether or not he had secure standing in God, he could look at Christ, but he could also look at his life. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul says, take everything about me, my ethnic identity as a Hebrew, my physical circumcision, my zeal for God, my blameless righteousness when it comes to the law, and just give me Jesus. Paul literally says, get my own righteousness away from me. It is not a source of assurance. It is not a source of confidence. Take whatever I could consider as contributing to my salvation. Don't count it as worthy. Don't think highly of it. I want to consider it human excrement. That's what refuse and rubbish are here. It's much kinder. I only want one righteousness, and it's not my own righteousness, which is from the law. And that's not going to change as we live our Christian lives. 
It's not what I can see. It's not what I can measure. That's not where I find my confidence in my flesh's response to Jesus. It's the righteousness that is granted to me by faith in Christ. The righteousness that is from God, not from me. By faith. Right? This is, this is precisely what Israel stumbled over about Jesus in Romans 9. That was the issue. We've been pursuing righteousness. We, they had God's blessing as Israel. And they said, we, we, we've been pursuing righteousness because you brought us out of Egypt. We've been trying to obey the law. We work very hard to obey the law. And Jesus comes along and says, you, you've misunderstood the point of it. You're not righteous. You need me to be your Savior because you're commanded to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And you can't do it. And they hated him for this. Right? They rejected him for this. The, the Pharisees in particular are the mouthpieces of that frustration in Israel. And people still stumble over Jesus like this. Do you, each of you personally, do, do you try to add things to Christ alone as the evidence or the confidence of your salvation? Do you find yourself looking at others and wondering whether or not they're saved because in your mind they're not doing enough or doing what you think they should be doing? Is it possible that there are false professors in the church? Absolutely, there are. There are people here that are not Christians at all. And either they're, they're willfully trying to fool everyone or they're deceive themselves, but Jesus teaches this. There are tares among the wheat all the time. But not only do we not know, we aren't supposed to be trying to figure it out. And if you listen to, to most revivalistic type sermons, you bring in a revival preacher to convince the church that they might not be saved so that they'll get serious about doing God's work again. I don't, I don't think that's biblical. I don't think it's right. Do you find hope in the fact that there are certain things you haven't done? Or are there many things that you have done for God? And so really that's where you look. You look to some work or to some experience you've had as, as the, the source of your confidence that you're in Christ. You're not throwing Jesus out. You're just adding to him and that's just as bad and as dangerous. What do you count as your righteousness? Because here's the thing. This can't be assumed. Right? If it could be assumed, I don't think the New Testament letters read the way they do. Well, yeah, I mean, of course, God is behind all of my righteousness. They say, it's all God, it's not me, then, then calm down. Right? Then don't stress, you're safe. Jesus isn't pushing us towards justification in the future. Helping us attain it. Beloved, Jesus isn't behind our righteous works. Jesus is our righteousness. Those who believe are justified, period. We don't want it to be that simple, but it is. We need to live by faith and trust that the Holy Spirit will move people along and sanctify them according to His will, in His time, and in His way. He's promised to do that. He's promised to do that. Where does Paul want to be found when you look for him? To know if he is righteous. In verse 9. In him. Right? Paul doesn't even want you to see him. Paul's not lifting himself up as salvation here. A model of salvation in the text. But to Christ. When, when you want to see Paul's worthiness. 
to be counted among God's people, you're going to have to look for Jesus because that's where you'll find Paul. Beloved, do do you want to be that close to Jesus? Do you not want people to see you but to see Jesus? I know that's what we want. Then we're going to have to stop seeing our good works as having anything to do with our salvation. Not even in the sense of measuring that I, I know that I'm in Christ because I used to be like this and now I'm like this. Beloved, people can change of their own free will and strength. Right? People can stop drinking if they want to, badly enough. Right? We, we can change our behavior. You do not need the Holy Spirit to change your behavior and stop doing certain things and start doing certain things. Salvation goes deeper than that. And it goes where we are unable to go. It goes to what we are unable to change about ourselves. God is doing something entirely new in us in salvation. It's not behavior modification. So you, you can't look to that. Right? You can't say, I, I simultaneously trust in Christ for my salvation. And the way that I know that he did that is I look at my life and see the changes that I've made over time. You'll have seasons of great change and you'll have seasons of hardly any change. Where do you look when you don't know? Where do you look when you're struggling to believe or struggling with doubt? Where do you look? Where does your hope come from? This is what's at issue here. Because Paul is saying, look, I have a ton of stuff I could look to and I don't even want to remember that it exists. That's, that's a powerful thing to say. Notice what Paul says here in, in, in verse 10. Because we'll have to look at the cross for the proof. To the object of our faith, not to its fruits. And there will be fruits, but we don't look to those. Notice what Paul says in verse 10. Giving up all reliance on or confidence in his own righteousness and what's good about him is presented there as the foil to actually knowing Christ. So the two cannot coexist. Paul does not want to find confidence in his flesh because he does want to know Christ. So the two cannot coexist. We can't have both. Right? We, we can look to our obedience, which comes from the law, and it will be there if we're believers, absolutely. Or we can look to the righteousness we cannot see with our eyes, but only have through faith that was imputed to us as our own by grace through faith in Christ. One of those ways of living is the means to knowing the Christ who saved us. The other will take us further and further away from Him over time. And you'll know when you bump into folks like this. not saying they're not saved. Absolutely not. I can't make that call. I can't. But if over time people become less happy, less free, more grouchy, more afraid. They lack confidence. What happened? We don't want to be found to be dogs and evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. Which is is what we'll do because no amount of sacrifice will ever be enough. No matter how much we give away Sacrifice, no matter, it, it, it won't be enough. There will always be more 
to do to find assurance. And since God never promised assurance through our works, we'll never find it there. I would argue that more good works are done by the people that know they're free than by the people that think they're gaining something they can have their confidence in. We don't want to be found faithless. That we cannot survive. There's one way to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death so that no matter what it takes, we'll be resurrected like Him from the dead. And it's having no confidence in the flesh. What else is faith but that? I want to be found in Him. I want to be found in Christ. I want His blood to cover all of me. His righteousness to be all of mine. I I don't want anything I do in this life. Not even the good works I do in His name that are nothing like Paul's. It's a little silly for me to even make the argument. I don't have a resume like Paul, but I don't want anything to be counted towards my salvation but Jesus alone. That's it. I want to be found in Him. I want Him to be all of it. What would our lives become for the sake of Christ to our neighbors if all the time and energy we expended trying to feel assurance when all that we need has already been accomplished by Christ? What if all that time and effort were spent instead on others and for others' sakes? What if we counted everything good in us as refuse so there's no confusion and that we might actually know Christ rather than feel like we can't get quite close enough? We're meant to know Him, to walk with Him in our salvation. He is not keeping us at a distance. If there's a distance, we're doing that. It doesn't have to be that way. It isn't that way. This is eternal life, beloved, to know Him. That's the way we transcend life in this world under the sun. We live in Christ. We're found in Him. Receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, which proclaims to you the full forgiveness of all of your sin and the full deposit of all of His righteousness. And be at peace. Be at peace. Trust by faith that the Spirit will produce His fruit in you. In His time and in His way. And let Him worry about the math. You're free and you're safe, for it is finished.